You're listening to a special all-rock-and-roll edition of The Emily Rooney Show. So what do you do when you are a member of one of the most successful American hard rock bands of all time? When you've sold well over 100 million albums, when you have four Grammy Awards, and your name is forever enshrined in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Well, if you are Aerosmith bassist Tom Hamilton, you just keep at it. Tom, Steven Tyler, and the boys are in the midst of an 18-date North American tour. The jam-packed arenas they'll be playing, including the TD Garden here later this month, are a far cry from Nipmuc Regional High School in Menden, Massachusetts, where Aerosmith played their first live gig in 1970. I sat down with Tom Hamilton last month, just days before the tour kicked off. Here's a little bit of that interview. Do you look forward to the tours? I do, yeah. Really? I really do. Um, it looks like such a grind. You know, it, it is, but, um, you know, it's not like when we first started when we were in vans and, you know, staying at <laughs> really, you know, hotels with sticky rugs. Um, you know, we stay in great hotels now, and uh, we travel really nice, but there is something that's uh, disorienting after a while when you're away and you can't run down to the refrigerator or you can't run down to the car for something that you uh, left in the back seat that you needed. So, um, yeah, you don't have every th- a lot of things that you think of as being at hand are not at hand when you're away, but otherwise it's a blast. Is it, I mean, it's yeah. 18 cities. I, I guess the first one is <clears throat> Minneapolis, is it? Right. But, yep. I mean, is is everyone completely different? Do, 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 do you have a formula for the concert, or is everyone in every audience completely different? Um, there's, like, regional variations. <laughs> <laughs> well said. People in the Northeast um, are great crowds. Well, well they People, know you, too. That's your crowd. Well, that's true. But um, the Midwest, you know, the Midwest has always been a really dedicated area of, uh, you know, rock fans. Uh, the southeast, uh, but on the on the coasts, you know, the the crowds are great, but they're just not as uninhibited as they are in some of the um, you know out in the country. So do you mix it up <clears throat> depending on where you are. Uh, we usually usually the basic framework of the set um, pretty much takes a form toward the beginning of the tour, and then we have uh, maybe four places within the set where we plug in different songs from night to night, but. Um, the basic structure of it usually stays mostly the same for the tour. So you've been at it since 1970. I have to ask you about the 60 Minutes profile that aired back <laughs> in March. You're laughing. Yeah. I mean, you, Rick Perry, Joey Kramer, everybody were so, were so um, honest about how you felt about Steven Tyler. Did you get mm. any uh, pushback after it aired from him? No. Uh, <laughs> you know... <laughs> They came. We were in Bogota, Colombia, when um, four out of the five of us did our interviews, and they came down, and I could smell what was going to happen. Yeah. It was going to be the typical, you know, oh, they were huge yeah. and they got wasted. Now they're much better. Yeah. They're huge again. That story, and so we, I, you know, we called a little meeting with the producer and said, "Look, are you going to do the regular old rock band story like that everybody else has done a hundred times? Are you going to really?" do something interesting about the relationships in the band. And unfortunately, they took our advice. Actually, they did. They, they did. They did and a story about the relationships within the band. They did. Um, and, um, you know, I thought, I, I remember Brad and Joey and I were, were starting our interview, and um, I'm, I forget what question it was, but it was a question that, you know, was very deep, Yeah. something that we would usually artfully dodge and go around but Brad gave this really, like, incredibly honest answer, and 
So the other two of us are kind of going, okay, I guess yeah, that's just sure the tone. Did. So, yeah. yeah, we did talk uh, a lot about the uh, the joys and the frustrations of the relationships in the band. And uh, but you know, then later on when it came time to interview Stephen, they took you know everything that yep, we said that's what that they went, always do. Yeah, and and they just barraged them with it. Oh my God! When I saw the show uh, on the air, I'm like, oh my God, the poor guy. And but I thought he did a, I thought he did a good job of defending himself, even though a couple of things he said I thought were, you know, I beg to differ on a yeah, couple of said, things. Yeah, he said they ride my coattails. Yeah. My perfectionism is what got us here. Mm-hmm. Um, the perfectionism part—that's Stephen is an, a perfectionist beyond perfection, which um, is not always a blessing for a person. You know, you think when you when someone's a perfectionist, you think, oh my God, that that means they do an unbelievably good job at whatever they do. But no, sometimes people who are super perfectionists can't be satisfied with anything. So um, Stephen has been like that a lot. And yeah, he has raised the standards beyond what we might have reached if we didn't have a personality like his in the band. It's definitely true. One of the downfalls, he had a lot of ups and downs, but that um, Laura Logan got into with Brad Perry Mew and everybody else was... This episode when um, Steven Tyler fell off the stage in 2009 and just how, you know, annoyed, that's not the, the word that Perry used, but, you know, that, that, that Stephen had gotten addicted to, um, you know, prescription drugs and, you know, he was off the, he said, and then Steven Tyler says, oh, I got, I was, my feelings were really hurt that none of you spoke to me for 27 weeks. First of all, was that true? You didn't speak to him for 27 weeks? I didn't keep count, um, but I know, <laughs> no, it, it was a long time and we, we weren't annoyed. We were devastated. I was actually home uh, recovering from my second bout with cancer. But, you know, when I got that call that the rest of the tour had to be canceled, um, it was the same feeling as if I would, had been out there on stage with the guys. And the reason it was so devastating is because it's happened over the course of our career many times. And, you know, you get to a point where, you know, in life, we, we don't have 30 more years for everything to come back together. Um, you know, if something really goes off the rails, those consequences are much more immediate because we don't have as much time to get things back together. So... Yeah, we were really freaked out, and we did not know how to constructively um, communicate that in a way that we thought Stephen would respond to in a positive way. So we just said, we, you know, we have to get a message to him. And um, so you all collectively. So decided we did. That yeah, we called, we we blanked him and we gave him the cold shoulder. And you know, I really hate the fact that that was what we decided to do. Uh, but I don't think. What we decided to do was uh, that unusual as opposed to what other people would do in that situation where where you work so, so hard to get something up to a point and then it's just gone in, in one night. So, yeah, we were, we were really freaked out. And, um, you know, that was a very wounding thing for Stephen. I, you know, I feel really bad for the pain that he felt. Um, you know, it was everybody was in a very painful situation. And... Uh, that's unfortunately, you know, we're not PhDs in how to deal with this stuff. So the way we dealt with it was the way we felt we had to respond. And uh, so his response later on that year was to say, okay, I want to go out and be Brand Tyler. I don't want to play with you guys. Right. He took the uh, American yeah. Idol gig without consulting any of you. 
Well, that was actually later on. I was mean, it? Um, what happened uh, was later the, that same year, we had some shows that we absolutely could not cancel. So a few months later, Stephen was, was better. I was feeling better. And we went out and did a show in Abu Dhabi and um, two in Hawaii and one in San Francisco. And we didn't talk during those, uh, the period of those dates, but when we were up on stage, it was the same really fun, you know, intense vibe as mm. it always is. So, you know, then we got back from that, and, you know, we just kept hearing reports that Stephen was, you know, really having a tough time hanging out with people he didn't really need to be hanging out with. And, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we got the news, the same day as the public at large got the news, that he was going into Betty Ford, and I was overjoyed. You were. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I never believed that we had played our last Aerosmith show, but it was as close to that as it's ever been. And um, I was overjoyed for him because I was really afraid of where that would lead if something didn't stop it. And so it was a relief for me to know that he was getting help. And sure enough, you know, when after a couple of months, he started putting out messages and saying, look, you guys, I really want to get together. I really want to say how bad I feel about you know, our, the, losing the tour last year and um, what we can do to move forward. So it was really great. We had a big powwow and we figured out a way to keep going. That is Aerosmith's bassist Tom Hamilton, who I recently spoke with ahead of the band's U.S. tour. Up next, more from that interview, including his thoughts on Aerosmith frontman Steven Tyler's sobriety and whether American Idol has been a good thing for the whole band. You're listening to a special encore presentation of the Emily Rooney Show. Stay with us. Welcome back. You're listening to a special rock and roll edition of the Emily Rooney Show. We've been listening to my recent interview with Aerosmith bassist Tom Hamilton. Let's get back to that interview right now. Is Steven Tyler completely straight and sober? Sometimes it's it's hard to for us, you know, the lay people to judge because he's so yeah. out there. Yeah, no, he's he's doing amazing. He's really, really doing amazing. He's completely sober. Well, I mean, I've been given him a, a urinalysis <laughs> lately, but as far as I can tell, yeah. yeah. So when did the when did the whole American Idol thing come up? Because that was part of the sixty minutes too thing where they oh, said, yeah. "Well, he he just did it." Well, uh, you know, I think I was talking about um, before he went out to Betty Ford and the months when it was very in between, where it was very unknown about what was going to happen with the band, is I think he started asking his people about, let's, I want to do something. Come on, let's go get something together. And there was talk about this uh, possibility of being a judge on American Idol. And then uh, we never heard a thing about it until we were, you know, we were back on the road and we were on our way out to play L.A., which to me is always a... Uh, you know, a sort of a great thing, but a not-so-great thing because Hollywood tends to bring out traits in people's personalities that sometimes aren't so great. And then all of a sudden we were out there in the middle of the tour, we're cranking along, we're, we're vi- our vision of the band continuing uh, is intact, and then we found out literally three days before he signed the thing that he was going to do it. So um, there was a real element of shock there, and... You know, I thought I'm this like happy-go-lucky guy, so I didn't really have a big reaction about it. But um, 
you know, we started really thinking about what that meant, the implications of it, and we started to wonder. Because it's time-consuming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like over half the year. Yeah. And um, we're thinking, holy crap, here we are. We've got to start thinking about the same things we had to think about six months ago. You know, uh, are we going to be able to maintain our, you know, level as a band, you know, and, and what's the public's reaction going to be? Because we didn't know then, and... When are we going to finish the album, which we've all been desperately wanting to finish for a long time? Um, so, you know, he would people would ask us about it, and he would hear our complaints, and then he'd go and say, "Oh, they're jealous, and they're riding on my coattails," and that's all just par for the course stuff that we've been living through for forty years. But it's just now the way we have reality shows. There's cameras everywhere, so it's just more out in the open now. It's out in the public, the public eye. All our arguments. And just <laughs> <laughs> Talking to Aerosmith uh, bassist Tom Hamilton. Well, he claims that American Idol bolstered album sales that put you back in the limelight, that Aerosmith has never been more popular as a result of his appearances on American Idol. Yeah, it's pretty unmeasurable. I mean, um, obviously, there. you know, when you're talking to that many millions of people, you're going to bring notoriety to whatever you're affiliated with. So there's definitely been a lot of press. Whether we see it in how many of the new albums, you know, where it goes to on the charts or how the tour does or anything, it's not uh, readily apparent. You're so not sure we'll whether we'll the, there's a correlation between his, you know, re- renewed popularity, not that he ever fell out, but, you know, his appearances, which is really appeals to young people, as I think, you know. I mean, I, I'm not mm. an American Idol watcher, but... A lot of young people watch it and might get swept into the whole. Yeah, band well, well, we'll see. You know, we're waiting to kind of find out about that. We haven't seen any real, like, definite indicators that it's like elevated our career in terms of statistics, numbers, you know, ticket sales, and all that. But mm. um, we finally have this album coming out, which is very exciting for all of us, and I think that's going to be the thing that's really going to bring us up to the next level, and then the American Idol thing may kick in to sort of turbocharge that, but we'll see. <laughs> when, you know? when is the album coming out? It's coming out in the fall, um, probably September or October, and we're just finishing the uh, last mixes uh, literally today or tomorrow. Um, the thing is, we, we were going to put it out in August. Uh, now we're going to put it out in October, so now I worry about people who, you know, wanting to go in and constantly tweak it before it comes out. Uh-oh. I, I, just it, yeah, be, I hate that. Yeah. I want it to be done. Edit and re-edit and yeah, edit. No, right. I understand that. It's crazy. You wait you too can, long. You can go right until the day before you give it to the record company. You know, there was one little clip from that 60 Minutes thing, which I think kind of jumped out at everybody. After all the braggadocio of Steven Tyler, he was talking about how he really seeks the approval and the opinion of Joe Perry. I think I have a little bit of a clip of that. Joe Perry's responding. There were dressing rooms that just got destroyed. I'd be like two silverback gorillas, and they they like tear branches and rip up the ground and and scream and yell, but they never actually get any closer than this, you know. That was a little bit confusing because actually, what what the setup to that was that um, Stephen Tyler had been saying that when he comes up with a line or even a collaborative line from all of you, and if he changes it or comes up with a different idea, there was a particular line he was talking about. He seeks opinions from you and he says he really values values those so, so that seemed genuine didn't you think oh yeah and it is and you know Stephen Stephen is definitely very grateful for 
the band and for everything that the band has done. Um, he has moments where he can be cruel and he can be unreasonable. And, um, you know, we've just learned, it's like riding the rapids. And we've learned how to do that fairly well. Um, because a lot of times that his extremism will result in something being better than any of us thought it could be, you know, a song or uh, a show or whatever we're working on um, at that point. So, I mean, there's always a balance. And, um, you know, just after doing it for so long, you start to gain wisdom and you start to know uh, which things you should let bother you and which things you need to listen for the value in what's being said and move forward. I mean, he's blown up his personal life, as many of the members of the band have, for various reasons, a lot of them involving substance abuse, alcohol abuse. You've had your uh, travails with that, too, but you've hung your personal, your family life together. <laughs> How? <laughs> I think I'm just kind of a uh, easygoing kind of person, really. And, you know, as far as the chemistry of the band, it's, it's one of the elements that has to be in there. You need the real flamboyant um, perfectionist Stephen, and you need uh, you know that ultra cool Flash Joe Perry that that character. But then you know these are gems, and gems need to be in a setting, and um, it's the whole thing, the whole picture that really is the thing that's gone forward for so many years. And you know, I, I had to get used to sort of. Um, you know, this in the press, a lot of uh, it's the Joe and Stephen show, and the rest of the guys are kind of just like you know crew guys that mm -hmm. get to yeah, hang exactly. out with them, and that uh, hurts a little bit. But I I know what my role is in the band and how I've contributed to the band achieving what it's what it has. So uh, I've learned to be okay with that and not bothered by um, you know other stuff that I hear. You have to you have to get to a point where you you can't let everything in the press or in the public bother you. or that you'll spend your day being bummed out and, every but, day. But know? just in terms of hanging your family life together, yeah. did you just mm -hmm. feel like you were always grounded and you knew that that was, that was always going to be a safe um, place for you? I, You know, I've always, yeah. Uh, you know, without really sitting down and planning that and saying, okay, this is how I'm going to maintain my sanity. It's just, you know, my family is something that I've been so fortunate to have constructed around me that, yeah, I do have a place to go where I need to get away from, you know, the, the joyful insanity. So <laughs> joyful thank insanity. thank you very much to my family and for all the Terry, waiting around they have to do for me. And your kids, who, and I know your son is in, in the rock business himself, and we don't discourage that, do we, Tom? No, we don't. Right. We don't. Tom Hamilton, always a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Up next, our resident provocateur, rock and roll writer Steve Ullman has an interview and an in-studio performance with the singer-songwriter behind the music in Get Him to the Greek and other high-profile Hollywood comedies. You're listening to The Emily Rooney Show. Stay with us. Welcome back. You're listening to a special all-rock-and-roll edition of The Emily Rooney Show. You might not know the name Dan Byrne, but perhaps you've heard some of his music in high-profile Hollywood comedies like Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story, and Get Him to the Greek. Our resident misanthrope, Steve Almond, author of Rock and Roll Will Save Your Life, recently welcomed Dan to our studios for an interview and performance. 
That beautiful noise you hear in the background is a mere hint of what's to come. The song is Luke the Drifter from the brand new album Drifter by Dan Byrne and Common Rotation. Dan Byrne has been writing and performing songs for more than two decades and has earned a rabid following both within and beyond the folk scene where he's revered both for his wild lyrical irreverence and his joyful celebration of American musical forms. Byrne is known as... Sorry, I'll come in from the top of that. Yep. Byrne is known in Hollywood as the musical genius behind the soundtracks to films like Walk Hard, Get Him to the Greek, and Father's Day. And he's here today in studio to celebrate the release of not just The Drifter, but a second record, Double Header, which includes 18 songs all about baseball. Joining Dan in studio are two members of his fantastic backing band, Common Rotation. They are Jordan Katz and Eric Cuffs. Gentlemen, I can't begin to tell you how thrilled I am to be able to welcome you to WGBH. Thank you. It's it's, great to be here. That's right. That's Dan, who's going to be speaking on behalf of his bandmates in Common Rotation, because they are actually struck mute by the awe of being in this sacred studio space. Guys, we're going to let you give it a workout right from the top. Uh, play us a song, if you would, from the new album, Drifter. This is Dan Byrne and Common Rotation. Six in the morning in my room at the Cecil 94.50 a week stretches me out a little Six in the morning is dope and magnumates Borrow me two bucks so I can get to work again I'm having a party Stayed at my desk I said I wasn't hungry Nobody questioned me I got three 40-ounce magnums And the cigarettes I craved all day And I visit my dope man At Sixth and Broadway I'm having a party Don't care about my breath, about my bloodshot eyes My beer is my friend And my rock is my friend And my friends are why I'm getting up to tomorrow again I'm having a party
That is Dan Byrne and Common Rotation here on WGBH, the Emily Rooney Show. We are so delighted to have them in studio. And that song was Party by Myself from the new record, Drifter. And Dan, I have to ask, um, you write these incredible persona songs. Sometimes they're reverent and funny. Sometimes like that, they are uh, kind of heartbreakers. Where did that song come from? Well, that was actually uh, a song I wrote after talking to this guy who had been homeless just just recently, um, and he just told me his story, and uh, so it was really, it was a, you know this true thing, this and and it was this cool collaboration too. And it sounds like, and what I love about it is, it's not you didn't sort of uh, try to sentimentalize what he had to say to you. I mean, it sounds like this is. This is this. These were the contours of his life. Yeah, and and he didn't, and he didn't, you know, look upon it particularly tragically or, or maudlin or anything. It right. Just this is how it is. This is how it is. These are my friends. Yeah. <laughs> Cigarette, booze. These are my yeah. friends. This is why I get up in the morning. The new record is uh, such a fascinating document. You, you uh, I should say, Drifter, with one of the two new records. Uh, and I'm always curious because you're so prolific. You write so many songs. When do you decide? There's a record there. Well, in the case of Drifter, I decided there was a record there quite some time ago, and it took better part of three years to to complete it and finish it and, and get everything done. You know, part part of it, I suppose, is n- this time around not having a, a bunch of record company money to just like spread all around and, and throw it at and say we're we're you know we're gonna do twelve hours studio days and we're going to bang it out in three weeks till we finish it so it was it was really stretched out over a long period of time and i think that does contribute to 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 what it is but just because you know when you step away and keep coming back every time you come back with a little bit different perspective and i think all that's in there Mm -hmm. and you got this amazing backing band i just want to give these guys credit and also so you know who you're listening to jordan katz is playing that beautiful banjo and eric cuffs is on the dobro we'll also hear some uh, trumpet i believe from the multi-talented mr katz uh play us uh, play us another song and then we talk a little bit more sure this one uh this one's on drifter it's also on the the baseball record it's 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 the one that's that's actually on both it's the uh, crossover Mexico line Right now I'm in San Bernardino All day long It was 95 degrees But at least Tonight I get To hear the Golden voice Of In Scully I've been stuck in this going no place test job for too many months and it's time to move on if i quit and just try to do my paintings i wonder if i could come up with rent i still root for the yankees back east never did take to these local teams 
But at least tonight I get to hear the golden voice of Ben Scully. That is the song Vin from Dan Byrne and Common Rotation. We have two members of Common Rotation who are with us in studio. This is Steve Allman, by the way, in for Emily Rooney. And uh, Dan, I want to just give our listeners a little bit of context. I've been following you since your first EP came out in 1995, I think it was. And this has got to be album number 413. How many records? Um... Well, it's in the teens. It's in the teens, because you also have some beautiful live uh, live albums as well, live in New York and live in Los Angeles, and a bunch of studio albums. But what I love about the new records in particular, Drifter and Double Header, which are just out, is they have the feeling of live records. I mean, I'm sure you recorded them in a studio, but mm-hmm. they very much have a feeling of you guys, you know, p- just playing off one another. Yeah, and I think that does come from, you know, we, we do a lot of stuff on the road. We've been playing together now for several years and and we actually made those two live records together mm-hmm. and um so yeah it 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 even though you know well i guess it's been 3 or 4 years and and you know in in musical time that's, in that's road like, time that's, that's 20 that years time, that's yeah. many many divorces many addictions in road <laughs> yeah. years well, you I, know we know kind of what 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 we're doing without having to talk about it a lot. Well, for many years, you were kind of thought of as a a solo artist, so it must be nice to be able to go out with a band, and especially a band. We should mention that uh, 
Adam uh, is, is not here, but he's part of Common Rotation, and their records, by the way, which we'll have links to up on the website, are fantastic. I've been listening to them like crazy. Uh, and Adam plays six or seven instruments. Jordan plays a bunch of instruments. You guys are all multi-instrumentalists, so you must have, even though you're going out with two or three guys, you've got a, a kind of a little orchestra with yeah. you. Yeah, you know, it is, it's, it's almost like having eight or ten people. And, um, right. and plus all the multiple personalities and the bipolar stuff. That is yeah. almost like There's having, a downside. There is a downside. There's a dark side. All right, I know I'm greedy for this, but I would love to hear another song, and I actually want to request one of the songs. Mm. Uh, I love the song Love Makes All the Other Worlds Go Round from the new record, Drifter. Would you guys play that? B. Dan Byrne yeah. and Common Rotation on the Emily Rooney Show. This song is actually one of the reasons we started making this record. Um wrote it for a, a movie called Drones that Adam Bush was directing. And uh, we had so much fun, we just kept going and eventually made this record. Well, it does sound like a funny title for a movie. And I think Drones, and I think that's a romantic comedy right there. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> Back from my trip around the universe they need me to be quarantined But first, before all your questions Let me just expound Love makes all the other worlds go round Love makes all the other worlds go round I started with our solar system then turned right navigating by candlelight and everywhere I went the same old story found love makes all the other worlds go round love makes all the other worlds go round this world spins round from love heard it in the but poetry and science completes the tale at last So when you look up at a starry sky And loneliness engulfs you, darkness fills your eye No matter where you're heading, to the heavens or just downtown Love makes all the other worlds all the other worlds go That is Dan Byrne and Common Rotation, Jordan Katz on the trumpet, Eric Cuffs is on the dobro, and Dan Byrne is accompanying himself on uh, both the flugelhorn. People, it's subtle, the flugelhorn, but also, yeah, yeah, you you can hear it. You can hear hints of it. Uh, And uh, we're delighted to have him on the Emily Rooney Show. Again, just, uh, you're probably aware of this since you can control a radio, I assume, but uh, you're at 89.7 WGBH. 
uh, Boston's NPR station, and we're delighted to have in studio <coughs> Dan Byrne and uh, Common Rotation, or let's say two-thirds of Common Rotation. I'm curious about this baseball record, Doubleheader. I know you're going to be playing. We'll have links to your tour stops, but I know you're going to be playing tomorrow night in Cooperstown. Mm-hmm. How did this record come together? Obviously, uh, from what I know, you're, you're, you don't even know how baseball, you don't even know the rules <laughs> to baseball. Well, my, my dad actually um, taught me everything I know about the game. He was a recent immigrant um, when I was little, and uh, he switched it on once and looked at it for a few minutes and said, Why is it hitting and running like mad? <laughs> <clears throat> and that's about what I know, too. We but, should explain that he was from the South. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, we should. Um, uh, I don't know. I just, um, you know, when I was growing up, I, I read everything about baseball that I could. I grew up in Iowa, so we didn't have a team. So I was, you're sort of almost free to create this, this mythical game, mm-hmm. which certainly exists in, in literature, as, as we know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my first, my first summers after college, I was living in Chicago, really near Wrigley, so close I could hear Harry Carey out my window. Wow. And so I just spent a lot of, a lot of time in the bleachers. Um, at that time, the Cubs were really bad. I know this will come as a shock. But, uh, <laughs> Wait, the Chicago Cubs were bad? Yeah. And so, you know, you, you could have a whole bleacher section to yourself some afternoons. And um, I just started writing these baseball songs just from time to time. Didn't really think of it as a subgenre or anything. Mm-hmm. And then um, over time, had kind of this this big bag of them mm-hmm. and um i had this gig at cooperstown lined up and i thought well it'd be cool to have a baseball record ready for that and right about that time we had this incredible opportunity to go and record for a couple of days at this studio tri which is bob weir studio in san mm-hmm. rafael um adam our the other common rotation or uh, his brother is, is bob's manager and so that all hooked up real nice it's a great studio um, and so we just went in for a couple of days and knocked this thing out. There were seven of us, me and the three commoners and, and, uh, <laughs> John Flower it's, it's on It's demeaning, base. but an affectionate it's, moniker. It's not good. <laughs> I think it, it's, it's with a K. Peasants would be nicer, but all right. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and Julie Wolf from the Indigos and, uh, my friend Bill Titus. And, um. Uh, yeah, so unlike Drifter, which took a while, we knocked out Doubleheader real quick. Mm-hmm. I, I should mention, you do a lot of collaborations. Uh, you know, you've worked with a bunch of people, and Emmylou Harris is on Drifter as yeah. well, which must have been exciting to play with her. Well, I, I feel like I want to hear one of these baseball songs. I love them. I already know most of them. Would you do, uh, could you do Gambling with Our Love? Is that doable on radio? Um, could we do a different one? Sure. This absolutely. one's called... Uh, Let's do, you want to do five nothing? Let's do five nothing. Right. Right. This one, um, I spent a lot of time uh, as a Giants fan growing up, and I, I struggle with it a little bit now because we live really near Dodger Stadium. That is a struggle. Uh, but uh, uh, in 02, I was there was no conflict at all, and it was kind of heartbreaking. So. The moon is hanging low 
this winter will be long and cold I do believe the birds have even stopped singing the giants lost the world series I do admit I worry about the great Barry Bonds how Will he feel with no ring on his finger? He's basically Mays and Ruth rolled into one. But how will he feel with no ring? Mays, he got his early. Aaron got one too. Banks never did. But you expect that with the Cubs. And of course, everybody who ever played for the Yanks has rings on his fingers and toes. A five-nothing lead with nine outs to go. Get six more outs somehow, then in for the save. I'll carry the thought of a five-nothing lead With nine outs to go to my grave Well, I was in England, far, far away I stayed up till five, suffering alone and when it was over, I even thought maybe the result might be different in America. Dusty, oh Dusty, why'd you pull Ortiz? Why'd you pull Rodriguez? Why'd you pull Warrell? I rubbed my eyes and tried understand how Nan was on the mound with no outs in the eighth a five nothing lead and now it seems the team is falling apart Dusty is gone to the Cubs. Good luck, Dusty. Kent's Connerties is gone. Bell's gone. Sanders, too. I guess they were just giants for a while. The moon is hanging low. The leaves are on the ground. This winter will be long and cold. I do birds have even stopped singing the giants lost the world series everybody at home a five nothing lead with nine eyes to go get six more out somehow and in for the save I've carried the thought of a five nothing lead not out to go to my grave.
That is Dan Byrne and Common Rotation singing to the soul of Red Sox Nation, it seems to me. Mm. The beautiful thing about that is I'm listening to that and I'm thinking, Paul Pedro, get him out of the game. He's going to blow game seven. Everybody who was around as a Red Sox fan knows that anguish of, you know, thinking you've got it in the bag and watching it slip away. It's one of the things that we love about sports is, uh, you know, it's a kind of loyalty to sorrow. You, know, you have a loyalty to your team, and even if that brings you into sorrow, you got to go there and dwell there. In baseball, you know, there's no clock, so there's no stopping this excruciating thing when it starts to go bad. You can't think, well, there's, you know, it's only That's minute we, 20 left. There's, so. exactly, there's, no way to run out, <coughs> there's no way to run out the clock. And anybody who was around and saw the Yankees win an extra innings in uh, 2003 in Game 7. Is that, that song speaks directly to them. I should mention that it's off the amazing new record, Double Header, uh, that, that Dan has put out, along with Drifter and with his band Jordan Katz on trumpet and banjo and Eric Cuffs on the dobro, and uh, both of them singing beautiful harmonies. Uh, Dan Byrne in Common Rotation, will you guys play us out with the song? Tell us what it is and then play us out. It's called Don't Get Mad, Get Even. Oh, I love it. Perfect for Red Sox fans. That was Steve Ullman with singer-songwriter Dan Byrne and members of his band, Common Rotation. That's going to do it for us this afternoon. We'll be back tomorrow at noon. Stay with us now for the Kelly Crossley Show coming up next. And tune in to my television show, Greater Boston, tonight at 7 on Channel 2. The Emily Rooney Show is a production of WGBH Radio. On the web at WGBH.org, Boston Public Radio. I'm Emily Rooney. Have a great afternoon. Slaps all around Sometimes it knocks you down Why is that? Sometimes same things charge you up Pull you down, drain your cup Sometimes it all just sucks you dry
This time next year we'll be kings And do a lot of interviews Wear a lot of bling Go to rehab Kick that cocaine in your cereal fat